Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to NJSBA's uh, podcast program, a conversation on New Jersey education. Uh, this is a special edition where we look at the school law issues during the pandemic. Uh, with us today... Uh, from uh, the law firm of Scrinci in Hollenbeck is John Geppert, who's a partner there. Welcome, John. Hi, Ray. Thanks for having us. And uh, joining him, uh, Carolyn uh, Chaudhry from, uh, well, actually, from the same law firm. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay. Uh, before we get started, though, if people want to ask a question or send in a question, there's two ways you can do it. You can just call in, one three four seven. 989-8904, and then press the number one, and that will let uh, Robin, who is manning our switchboard, know who you are and what your question, the topic you'd like to address. Or you can just log on with a Blog Talk Radio. We have a chat room feature, and you can just type it in, and we'll pass it on to John or Carolyn. Uh, as I said earlier, this is, uh, the idea behind this program is to look at some of the school law issues uh, that have changed because of the pandemic. We're completely remote. And one of the things where we're most remote in is the school board meetings uh, and how they're being held now. Uh, and I know some people are going back to in-person meetings, but um, in the conversation I was having before, I used to get phone calls of people trying to figure out how to get one board member to participate in the meeting remotely uh, and how do they have to do that. Now everything has switched. Um, so uh, I'm gonna, before I get to the first question, uh, John, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the law firm uh, and that uh, and who you represent. Sure. Um, Scrinzi Hollenbeck. I'm the uh, chair of the public and education uh, law group there. And we represent school districts throughout the entire state, uh, every facet of general education, special education, and uh, any matter that you could think of. And certainly part of that is attending public meetings and handling the uh, board meetings as they come through. Um. Well, let's, you know, this uh, the Open Public Meeting Act is actually uh, a pretty old uh, piece of law, and it, it wasn't it was written and passed when there was no idea that they'd be having completely remote meetings. Let's go through some aspects of the board meeting, like public participation. How does the district now have to allow for public participation? Particularly, uh, there's two ways. I guess they can still technically have a meeting in person, but let's talk about a r remote participation. Sure, uh, absolutely. Uh, as as you know, uh, 2020 has been quite a year for us, one that we'll not forget soon. Um, and in dealing with the board meetings, we now have the remote uh, component to it. And I'd like to begin by commending the superintendents and business administrators out there for a job well done. Uh, when this hit in March, it uh, was a totally different world, and they've moved quickly to handle things in an appropriate manner. Uh, for example, I know I've been on Zoom meetings now with board meetings where we have over 1,000 families uh, participating or calling in. 
And that certainly has changed the dynamics from the old in-person situation. Um, obviously, we want to follow the legal requirements. We need to do what the law says. Uh, the legislature and the governor passed a new statute uh, back in March, NJSA 10-4-9.3. And this now gives us the opportunity to hold board meetings by means of communication or other electronic equipment. So this provides the legal basis for us to go and conduct a meeting and public business uh, to open the meeting to the public, to take our public votes, and to receive public comment. And all that has amended the Open Public Meetings Act. So that's a very valuable and important tool right there. Uh, we still have to follow all the requirements of the Open Public Meetings Act that existed before. We need to provide notice. And particularly in dealing with the remote situation, we need to notify the public that there's going to be a remote component to it, and the public notices should provide exactly how uh, the instructions would work for dialing in or linking into a Zoom participation uh, so that the public can observe what we do and to make sure that they have an opportunity to comment. And um... Can they boards usually uh, in the past uh, would have a policy that they would have uh, for the uh, time limit for each speaker uh, and also a time limit in the entire public portion? Do they, can they still have that? Yes, they can, and certainly the New Jersey Supreme Court case Bessler is still important. It provides a board with the opportunity uh, to have the discretion uh, under the statutes to. Um, run the meeting and to handle any members of the public who might become disruptive or repetitive uh, along those lines. So many board policies, uh, certainly in the, by the school board suggested bylaws in the 9,000 section, uh, will lay out that a member of the public has three minutes, for example, to speak uh, and that the person can't speak twice until someone else has spoken. And in most sections of the meetings, there are two uh, public comment sections. But under the statute, there has to be at least one. And the members of the public not only uh, have the opportunity to watch everything, they have the opportunity. Would it be okay for a district, um, depending on their technology, and I know districts are still developing the technology for these meetings, uh, I've heard some where they just read the question. People can type in a question either via email or in a chat room or some other feature, and then someone in the district reads it, and then they, they, you know, the superintendent or someone else addresses the the question. Is that okay to do something along those lines if that if that's the technology you have? Yes, I was going to say the districts need to do a good faith effort to do the best they can uh, with the technology that they have. I've participated in all sorts of uh, different fashions in doing it. They do uh, frequently have a situation where a member of the public can raise a hand and get noticed uh, through the computer technology. And there are some times that a question is typed in and that's read and asked. There are other times that they just uh, open up the lines and an individual can call in, usually hit like star nine or something, depending on the technology. And they're able to ask their question right there to the board members. It really does wanted... replicate, um, Ray, what they do uh, in person because some districts do 
have them hand in an index card with a comment ahead of time where they're allowed to stand at the podium and speak um, in public. And that's sort of replicated um, on the internet as well, whether they're going to type in a chat or speak. Yes, and I just want to reiterate, because John, you brought it up, but it, it is important. In your notice now, though, it's important that you tell people how to participate via remotely uh, uh, as we move forward with this. Absolutely. Now, I know some hey, districts are even – you want to go, go I was going to add, some, sometimes there's more than one way, um, because some people don't have the technology to um, come in the link on a Zoom, so most districts have – sort of the two ways, uh, like you see in Zoom, you can call on a number if for some reason it's not working on your Zoom, you can call in, and then if you can sort of Zoom in, you can click and then participate that way. So a lot of districts, when they're using Zoom and these other technologies, it has two means to participate in case someone doesn't have um, the technology to participate one way, there's usually a call-in number as a default. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get to, a, you know, districts now are reopening. Today's the first day of school in a lot of districts. Uh, and there mm-hmm. are different ways to do it. Some are all remote, some are hybrid. But the board meetings are becoming that way, too, from what I can see, is that some people are trying to go back to in-person meetings with a virtual. I think a lot of them are keeping the virtual participation component in, even if the board is in uh, person. Um, but if a board member doesn't, if a board wants to be in-person, uh, but a, one board member may not feel comfortable because maybe they have a health reason. Do the, does the board have to make accommodations for a board member to participate remotely? Yes, I, I would recommend a hybrid type situation at this point. And certainly uh, things have changed a little bit over the last six months and they may change in the future. But as of today, um, we have a couple of restrictions that that also play into this. We have the governor's executive order 173, which limits the crowd to 25 people at an indoor gathering. And um, in viewing that, uh, there were were some exceptions put in for legislative proceedings, but our view is, and what our recommendation has been um, for a while has been that, the board needs to observe the 25-person limit, the, the maximum that can uh, exist at that time. Uh, there's nothing in the executive order that specifically states boards of education are uh, exempt. And um, uh, along those lines, um, we recommend that that be maintained. I know New Jersey School Boards has come out with a recent piece saying the same thing. Uh, along those lines. So that creates problems because when you have uh, your board members and your administrators uh, there, you can have 15 or 20 people right from the beginning. So you have a limit on the public. And that's why at this point you need to have a virtual component as well. Um, I could see where some members of the public would challenge a board meeting where you have just all in person uh, at this time and you really only could have a handful of the public attend. So for that reason, I think as of today and going into the future until there is a loosening of the maximum capacity, I think that um, you, you do need to have other board members uh, participate uh, remotely if they want to. You need to have the public 
uh, participate remotely as of today and uh, go from there. Obviously, the underlying conditions are safety and the health of people and uh, things along those lines. And uh, if they are in person, they have to follow all the social distancing uh, guidelines of being up six feet apart, wearing masks where possible, and, and, and things of that sort, correct? Absolutely, yes. You would have the six feet apart guidance. You would have the masks for everyone who's participating in person. And some boards would uh, are talking about a, a special entrance into the building just to limit the number of people from outside who are going to be coming in uh, with in mind the safety of the children. You know, you don't want to introduce a, a large number of people, and that's part of the reason why there's 25-person limit at this time. And I have, I mean, you talked about the number of people, but I've also seen that now boards maybe have to add two more people to this, that list of administrators. They need to have IT people, or most of them have an IT person on call or on staff there to help with the technology, from what I've seen. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, we found that. I know sitting in many situations, uh, there's been an immediate need for people to, uh, our technology people to intercede and to try to help uh, in one capacity or another. So their presence there is vital uh, during this time period. Um, I want to get to one thing that was always a little bit of a difficult part was uh, closed sessions, uh, trying to do those either hybrid or all remotely. What are some guidelines that the two of you can give us on what they uh, need to be doing in that situation? Sure. Um, well, you need to uh, comply with all the legal requirements, the Open Public Meetings Act. So you need to make sure going into closed session that you have one of the reasons uh, listed in the statute is the reason why you're going into closed session. The overriding concern is uh, confidentiality, that you want to make sure mm -hmm. that everything remains confidential. And for that reason, when it's held virtually at this time, uh, one of the practical things you need to do is make sure that you have a separate invitation for just the executive session portion of the meeting so that there can be some control by the district on people who are in closed session and that it's not open to the general public. So that's a very important matter for the school district to get right. And my experience has been that they've done a very good job at uh, doing that. So usually you have two different invitations uh, to the board members and the relevant administrators uh, for a public meeting and then a separate one for a closed session meeting. Yeah, the other thing I've seen is um, the IT or maybe the business administrator is controlling that separate room um, so that you have to be invited in, that anyone can't automatically jump into that meeting, that they have to be seen and invited in um, so there isn't any Zoom bombing or any of that going on where all of a sudden <laughs> the executive is interrupted so they have extra passwords and security to make sure that that is, you know, secure meeting. And what about uh, documents that they may be looking at together? Um, is there a way to have those secure? Because some of them may be dealing with personnel or student issues. And probably, you know, all the reason that you'd be in closed session. Sure. Yeah, what I've seen in practice is that when you have the separate link that just allows the board members 
and the board attorney and the administrators in that frequently they'll be able to, through the technology, put something up on the screen so the board members and administrators can point to specific information, an agenda, um, documents, whatever they may need to review to accomplish what they're working on. Yeah, there is an appointed host in the meeting, so that host has control of um, what documents can go up or not and can pass the control to others. But typically the business administrator or, again, the IT person would be pulling up the documents. If, if there's a question and everyone needs to look at it, they would put it on the screen um, and control the documents coming up and down. Okay. And that would be both um, if some of the people are in person and some of the people are remote, um, it would be almost exactly the same as everyone being remote. Correct. All right. Uh, what about committee meetings? I mean, okay. uh, well, I know that's not, you don't have, have to always advertise those, but uh, some districts do. But uh, how, do, how do those work? Well, okay. Under the committee meetings, uh, the, the statute, the, the Open Public Meetings Act, 10 colon 4 hyphen 8 B is clear that uh, a meeting does not mean less than an effective majority of the members. So committee meetings are not viewed as being covered by the Open Public Meeting Act with respect to the notice requirements and the additional uh, matters that pertain to it. Um, so in that situation with the committee members, which is usually it has to be less than the majority of the members of the board, in this time where people are concerned about going out, um, it is possible to hold a virtual committee meeting. And I've seen where uh, many districts have done that, where just the committee members and the administrator will interact uh, virtually. And that is permitted um, under the adjustments that were made to the Open Public Meetings Act. Okay. And of course, as school districts, uh, as the board start to slowly move back to having some of the board members, if not all, attend uh, in-person meetings, the same thing would apply to the committee meetings, that they can go back to where typically they'll have three board members and a superintendent and the, and the relevant administrator meet. They can meet in person and um, proceed as they did before the pandemic hit in March. And one of the reasons I have seen that boards are moving more towards the in-person or at least the hybrid is uh, they get they get some uh, criticism that if the board's completely remote, why are you sending kids and staff into a school? Is that something that some of your districts have had to deal with? Absolutely. Um, certainly sitting through uh, many of the Zoom board meetings in uh, June, July, and August, uh, the parents would make comments that, uh, hey, our children are going to school, the teachers are going to school, uh, board members, you know, should be in school too. And I think boards are reacting to that. And many of the boards that were all virtual are moving to the process where there will be an in-person component of the board meeting with uh, some or all the board members there. And then the rest will be virtual. It will be handled by uh you know, the the rest of the public and thing, things of that sort. I think one thing that was interesting to people is where they had board meetings before and you might have 10 or 30 people 
uh, in a, many of the districts, uh, because they can register how many participants there are, they'll have 200, 400. And like I said, when things were really uh, heated in July, uh, there were times when there were over 1,000 uh, participants on the line, which makes it m- much different than it was before. It made for some very long meetings, uh, but everybody worked through in good faith and everything got done. Yeah, I did hear that too. Every, all board members I was talking to, they had a lot more people participating in their, a lot more members of the public participating in the meeting. Um, and that's why I, I don't know if it's, what's going to happen, but I think this virtual component will probably be something that will be here to stay with us uh, for the foreseeable future, for the public anyway. Yeah, um, I would agree, yes. Yeah, it makes it a little easier if you have. 500 people, you don't have to worry about what room you're going to be in. You can just have people participate. Um, just look at some best practices and something. Does the board does the board have to, when it's doing it uh, virtually, what type of audio and can they just have audio, first of all, or do, they need, or do they need to have a visual component to it? And which ones work best? Because I know sometimes if you see the whole board and it's seven or nine people, uh, or 10 if you include uh, administrators, uh, all spread out, you might not be able to see who's talking. So what are some best practices that you have seen in that area? Well, my experience uh, with a number of the boards is basically that they do everything uh, with the visual so that you can see the board members and relevant administrators. Uh, That's been the experience that I've had, of course, with 600 districts across the state. I'm sure there are some different components to it. Uh, I do think the public uh, appreciates being able to see uh, their elected representatives and uh, when they're questioning them, uh, you know, during the public sessions, uh, they'll ask specific questions along those lines. So I I think if you can, that that's a good way to um, present the board. And I do think that uh, certainly as long as the pandemic is occurring, I think they, they'll expect a, a virtual component to the meetings um, as well. I, I think I agree. I think the visual is the best mode, but sometimes I have seen board members call into the meeting and so their name is up as a call-in board member. Uh, so you might have some that you have a visual of their face and others you'll have their name or a picture of them up as they're calling in, um, but you won't actually see the person in person, but you do hear their conversations um, and discussions and you hear their votes um, by the voice, Mm -hmm. but you may not have their picture. Yes. Well, I think the visual always works better. Uh, What about the difficulty? Have you had this in some of your districts when a lot of the boards in person they may not. The camera may just get six people and not really focus in on the speakers. That something that you have seen too. Well, yeah. I mean, each district is a little different, and I think some of them are experiencing uh, challenges as they're moving back to an in-person component while also trying to do the virtual uh, part of it. And I, I do think some of it deals with what their capabilities are there trying to show the entire board that may or may not be possible. Uh, but the main point is that everybody's able to hear everything that's said during the mm-hmm. meeting. And if we can provide a visual appearance, uh, then that's helpful as well. 
Yeah, I think the pictures uh, of the board members, uh, you know, it, from Zoom, you have a close-up of them. But when they're sitting in um, a room, then you're going to get sort of a distance view of them. So you won't see them up close and personal. It's more you see them talking sort of at a distance and hear them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you probably will see different technology come about about down the road where it will follow the speaker at each board meeting. Because I know that that technology does advance. No one had time to buy any of that technology right now. Um, mm-hmm. Say something does go wrong in a meeting with the technology. Say uh, you can't hear the public uh, or they can't see you. How does that affect the validity of the, the meeting? Maybe it's only for 15 minutes. but Yeah, well, a couple things. Uh, when there are technology problems, I, I tell uh, then the best way to proceed is to relax, to act in good faith, and to do your best. I think we've all experienced unusual situations. I know in the first round of meetings, there would be meetings where I uh, was having difficulty calling in or I would get dropped, and then I had to call in again. Uh, I've seen situations where the presiding officer uh, would freeze and they weren't able to participate and the board would just then move on to another presiding officer uh, to handle it. It's important. Uh, I think that the technology people then take a role there where there is a problem um, and they will step in. There could be some factors like maybe they have to ask people to mute if they're not doing that and there's just too much noise. Um, and uh, a couple things. One, Uh, You have to deal with whatever problem occurs. You have to continue with the meeting uh, as long as the the board can meet and as long as the public can hear. And then um, at some point, uh, if by some reason, I guess, if everything went blank and it went out, it'd be treated as if the meeting had adjourned. And then, you know, you just have to give notice to resume the meeting at another time. But I, I think typically my experience has been whenever problems have come up within two or three minutes, they're able to find a, a, a different way or yeah. a better way to have the meeting continue. And I've been hearing that people are getting a little bit better at each, at these uh, remote meetings and the, even the hybrid as they move along. And uh, it was a little hard in March and April, but now I think they're getting a little bit better at the mechanics of it, at least. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh as they move forward um, and they're looking at how to do these meetings, what are some basic things? Do they still have to just keep the, the spirit of uh, the sunshine law in, in the back of their mind or in the forefront, I should say? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, what we have now is another layer of the Open Public Meetings Act, not necessarily doing away with uh, any of the requirements before. So as you mentioned with best practices, I think transparency is important, accommodating the public's important. You want to follow the legal requirements. So you you need to give your notice. You need to give the instructions to the people how the meeting will be performed. If they need to call in the phone number, if they need to connect to Zoom by a link, how they do that. And uh, then, you know, they need to obviously have a public session during that portion of the meeting. Uh, and make sure they comply with all of those things. And as we get into the fall, hopefully everything will improve and we'll get back to more in person. Uh, But no one can totally predict exactly how that will happen. So one of the comforts is that we do have this change in the law now. 
that permits us in emergency situations to go to these virtual meetings when we need to do so. Um, I just had one other question that popped in when you were talking about, and most of these are taped. Um, I guess if they have, if and mo almost all platforms I see have an option for recording it. Uh, how that's a public record, I assume. How long do they have to keep that public record or that tape if they have to keep it? Well, the statute uh, it does talk in the Open Public Meetings Act about, in general, moving forward. Your uh, requirements are usually in your board policy, and there's information that if you audio tape or tape your meetings, um, you have to hold them until at least the, the final minutes are done, things of that sort. So whatever your board policy requires, you'd want to follow that the same way under uh, however you're conducting the meetings at this time. All right. We have about a minute left. Any final words of uh, advice for a board as they move forward in this uh, new world? Yeah. To, as I said, to be transparent, uh, to accommodate the public. I've been so impressed with many board members who will sit there through a four or five hour Zoom meeting uh, some of them with three-and-a-half-hour public sessions where they will listen to the public uh, about what their concerns are. That is what the board members are there to do, and I commend them for doing that, and I encourage them to continue uh, to do that as we go forward. Keep in touch with your board attorneys. Uh, for example, we may see a change if the governor changes through executive order the, the total number of people available at a meeting. That may change the dynamics uh, at some point if we get back to 200 or 300 people, um, you know, being available to attend a board meeting. That that may change how uh, the product is delivered. And from a okay. practical advice, um, sometimes boards go back and forth, kind of question and answers. But when you have a large number waiting for comments, it's better to hear all the comments because some might have the same comment and then maybe uh, reserve any comments uh, from the board at the end. Oh, okay, it's a good piece of advice. Um, well, that brings us to the end of this podcast. I'd like to thank John Geppert and Carolyn Chaudhry from the uh, law firm of Scurrency and uh, Hollenbeck uh, for joining me on this discussion of how the board meetings are run in this uh, virtual world. Thank you, John. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank, thank you. you for having us, Ray. Have a nice day. Okay. You too. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.